In our world today, we've got a lot of things going around about false information. You see it all the time on Facebook. It seems like every post nowadays is, uh, this is false, this is false, this is, this is misleading, this could be whatever, fake news here, fake news there. Like, and nothing in our world that you feel like you can trust these days. It doesn't feel like there's any, any substance to, to the posts that people post or to the news that even people write the news. That people show articles, like share articles on social media. And all of a sudden, like, these third-party fact-checkers are checking this article. And, and, you know, all these articles, every single article and every person on Facebook is being censored by some, in some form or another through fact-checkers, through false news, through fake news, through false information ploys, misinformation. Oh, the Chinese are doing it. Oh, the Russians are doing it. Oh, the Iranians are doing it. And I just wait for the day, the moment that I, that I see all sorts of this, the you know, fact-checkers on everything that we post about our faith, about Scripture, about the truth of God. Fact directors have found out that this information is false due to evolution, due to science, due to opinion of everyone else besides Christians. There's so much of this stuff roaming around. So that's why it's what I really wanted to, I wanted to grasp this, this new season of our, of our life and ministry in grounding ourselves in the one and only truth, the, the fact checker, uh, checker upon fact checker, checkers, scripture. Scripture is the truth that we base our entire lives and our faith on. And there's nothing outside of this more powerful for our lives and faith. Nothing outside of this that is more reliable to live by, to place our entire life and allegiance and hope on. <clears throat> what the world that we live in right here today needs most, and the thing that we need most in our lives, personally, myself included, all of us, is the gospel and clarity and certainty of this gospel. That is the only way that we will ever find our hope, ever find our direction and trajectory, ever find true meaning and purpose in this life. I mean, fewer and fewer places, and unfortunately, churches are preaching this gospel, are preaching the word of God and placing our life and our faith upon it and telling others to place your faith and your life upon it. Fewer and fewer places. So where can we go? I feel like we're like John. We're like Peter in the book of John. Where Jesus is like, you know, all these disciples are, are leaving because he told them, you know, Jesus told this, the, the hard teaching to everyone. And everyone is leaving. All the thousands of people that had followed him were leaving. I would say that if Jesus, you know, were in the church growth movement, he would have been like downplayed as the worst church, you know, church growth pastor ever. He lost thousands of people in one day because he told people to, you know, eat me, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they left. And he was like, are you guys going to leave too to the disciples? 
they're like, well, where else can we go? There's no other, other place that, that has the words of truth. You are the one who has the words of truth. And there are fewer and fewer places preaching the truth today. And so that's why I wanted to engage in the book of Luke, to go back to the basics, for, to a book that was written for us, which we'll get to in a moment here. But I want us to truly know the story of Jesus, to know the word, the author and perfecter of our faith, the God whom we worship, and the Savior who died in our place on the cross because of his great love for all people. And that's why this gospel, this Jesus that we preach is for everyone. This Jesus that we preach about, that we talk about, that we believe in, that we put our allegiance and our faith in is for everyone. And he is for everyone. He's pro-people. He's pro-humans because he created them. He loves them. He loves all humans. Now, he doesn't love what a lot of people do, but he wants every single person to know him. Every single person in all of creation, in all of existence, to have a relationship with him. A deep, meaningful, personal relationship with him. Jesus is for everyone. The one who, as Luke talks about, has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, we're going to talk about the book of Luke. So we're going to go through the book, the gospel of Luke. I'm super excited. Are you guys excited? Yes. Are you guys excited? We're going to go through the Bible? Yes. I love this. I love going through the books of the Bible. And so I'm so excited for this journey. So we are going to go through the gospel of Luke. Now, the book of Luke. Let's talk about a few things as an intro, as core, cause of introduction. Now, this is where I nerd out, you guys. So I hope that this is going to be clear. But one of the hardest parts for preparing a sermon is clarity. Um, getting all this stuff that I've researched for hours throughout the week and putting it into something that's some, you know, somewhat resembling a sermon. Um, and this is where I nerd out is all the history. I love this part of, of, of sermon prep. Um, and so I'm going to do more of it uh, throughout our time. But I wanted to set up the book of Luke. So who wrote it? Luke. <laughs> That's easy. Well, so who wrote it is Luke. Now, it's kind of weird. Modern scholarship is doing weird things. Like they're questioning everything and not so much questioning. They're like throwing out old evidences. Like, you know, pff, yeah, yeah, Luke probably didn't write it. Yeah, it was probably... Da, 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 da. Don't listen to modern scholarship, you guys. Modern scholarship in a lot of ways is just dumb. They're just people that want to question everything and doubt everything. Um, and so Luke wrote the book of Luke. Now, what was, who was Luke? Let's talk about Luke. Who was Luke? Luke was a physician. We know this because Paul told us. Luke, the dearly beloved physician. And Demas, greet you, send you greetings. So Paul wrote about Luke in the book of Colossians. Luke came and actually, um, and actually followed with Paul for quite a few, uh, you know, for quite a while on his missionary journeys. Uh, so he was a partner with Paul. Actually, if you read in, in Acts chapter 16, because Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Um, wow, my brain almost took a wide right turn. Here we go, staying focused. Um, that he followed and picked up in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are in the, in the, in the region of uh, Philippi and they're imprisoned and then they're released 
uh, from prison after the, you know, the earthquake and the guy tries to kill himself and he's like, no, 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 we're still here. And so the guy takes, you know, takes Paul and Silas to their house, binds up their wounds, and then you know, his entire household comes to faith in Jesus Christ and then he brings them back uh, and then they're released. And so in, in Luke, then the language in Acts changes from they did this, they did that, to we did this and we did that. And it, t- it does that several times. Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 23. Uh, Luke picks up the journey with Paul and his followers. He's actually probably on the ship that is shipwrecked at the end of Acts 20, 23. Um, so kind of, kind of fun there. Now, who was Luke? He was a Gentile. This is, pick up on this. Luke is a Gentile. The one and only Gentile author in all of Scripture. I didn't grasp this until this this week. He is the one and only Gentile that wrote a book of the Bible. And not only that, he wrote, he was a a brilliant and prolific writer in that he wrote the entire book of Acts, I'm sorry, book of Luke and the entire book of Acts for a guy named Theophilus. The word means lover of God. So it could be a title. It could be, you know, like just a name for us, you know, lover of God to you, Sienna, to you, you know. We, all these different, to us in this group, you know, you, Megan, you, you, Steve, you, you, Carrie, like to all of us in this room, he's writing, fill in your blank, fill in the name, fill in the blank, lover of God. It could be just a blanket statement of whoever loves God and is reading this book. But it could also be a guy, a financier, you know, someone who financed his journey because he was, he was just roaming all, all over uh, the Judean and, you know, that whole, you know, Near Eastern world during these, during, you know, several years, uh, which we'll get to again. Man, I'm fighting so many rabbit holes right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to get, have my mind be, be, be straight right now because um, there's just so much, there was so many, so many good things. Um, and so uh, because he was such a brilliant writer, if you look at the, at the books, Luke actually writes over a third of the New Testament. Paul wrote many, many letters and different books and James and Peter and we got Romans and, and the other gospel writers, but Luke wrote the entire book of Luke and the book of Acts is the longest book in the, in the Old Testament. I'm saying the New Testament and Luke is the second longest book in the New Testament. And so he is just a brilliant and prolific writer. I am so glad I did not translate Luke in Greek class because he is so complex and beautiful in his language, but so complicated. <laughs> so that's why I'm so glad I didn't have to translate him in class because it was hard. But, um, but so this, you know, this is Luke. Luke is this Gentile who came to faith in Jesus Christ later after he, after he rose from the dead and ascended. He did not walk with Jesus. And so let's go back to the book of Luke. When was it written? So History puts it anywhere between the 50s and the 90s, depending on, on what scholars you listen to. There are some that, that pre- prefer like an, a later writing, like late 70s to 80s. Some prefer an earlier writing, like in the, in the mid to late uh, 60s or so. It really just depends on the interpretation of the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 and the way that Luke writes about the prophecies going forward. Um, because... In AD 70, the Romans came in and took over Jerusalem, annihilated it, you know, tore down the temple, tore down the entire city of Jerusalem. All the walls were destroyed. 
And so there's, there's prophecies toward the end of Luke that Jesus gives. And so they're basically trying to figure out, okay, is this before it happened? Or is this like putting this in the past, like Jesus giving this prophecy, but writing it as if it's already happened? So it just depends on, on the authorship there. I think it's more likely that it was pre, um, pre-destruction, like in the 60s, mainly because there's evidence that Paul went on a fourth missionary journey, but the book, the book of Acts ends with the end of his third missionary journey. And, and Paul later dies in Rome in AD 64. And so I, believe, I think it's, it's safe to say that it's either late 50s or early 60s that this is written in. Uh, because Paul has not yet finished his his fourth missionary journey, um, so when was it written? Now? That's that kind of takes care of that question. Why was it written? Now this is the big question: Why was the book of Luke written? You know, like it's so the question for us: Like why should we care? Why should we read the book of Luke? This goes into why. It also goes into account: Like why was this written? By thinking about who was this written to? Luke is a Gentile. And he's writing because at that point, Mark has probably already been written, possibly even Matthew. And so he's thinking, what, you know, I'm, I want to, you know, read, write a, a gospel account of Jesus Christ. Not because theirs were bad, but because I, there's, there's something that hasn't been written yet that needs to be written. There's an audience who needs to hear about Jesus that has not been written to. And Luke's audience was... Gentiles, us. And that's why I wanted to read it with us, is that this, this Luke may, have, may or may not have had a familiarity with Jewish culture. He may have been taught the Jewish culture later by Jewish Christians. We don't really know where his education came from. We do know that, like he said, he was a physician, professionally trained, and then became a, you know, a historian. Um, because... All these different stories about Jesus during, during these first decades of the church uh, were being passed around. And, and if you know anything about ancient uh, you know, Near Eastern culture, storytelling was key. Storytelling was an art form. Writing was actually not treasured, was not prized. Because things could be, you know, you know scrolls and everything, like we know with the, the Library of Alexandria, can be destroyed, but a story lives on. And for them in that culture, for thousands of years even before that, the accuracy of storytelling was key in a culture. If you were caught adding a word or a wrong inflection in a story, people would call you out. Like, whoa, 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 that's, that's, not, that's not what happened. That's not, the, that's not the story. You know, storytelling has been famous as, as this, is this cultural practice has been around for thousands of years i mean think about it a long time ago in a, in a galaxy far far away you had c-3po in in in, you know, in the return of the jedi or the, the return of the return of the jedi yeah yeah return of the jedi yeah at the at, he's talking to the ewoks and he's telling the story of of when they took out the death star the first time and the, and the second thing and what's happening you know what's going on C-3PO is telling stories. If you watch Lord of the Rings, Bilbo Baggins, at the very beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, is sitting down at his party, celebrating his uh, you know, 111 year, years of life and telling the story of the trolls. 
and poof, turned them all into stone. He's telling the story of his adventures. And this is exactly the same culture that we had in the Near East. This, this art of storytelling. There were oral traditions passed down. They're actually accredited. They're accredited. Um, there were accredited um, storytellers in that culture. People who were qualified. Like, my job is a storyteller. I can tell you any story. You ask me a story, I tell you, I tell you a story. If it was a form of entertainment, but also passing down the legacy of God and of people. And so that's why Luke wrote the book of Acts, or the book of Luke. He said, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Storytelling and writing down, you know, Mark and Matthew. This is one of the reasons why he, he brought this in. Um, oh, I missed a quote here. So Plato, 500 years before Jesus even quoted, there's a danger in writing things down. Human memories are the best way to get things right and to pass them on. That's Plato who said that. And so we have this culture where, of oral tradition, but what was starting to happen was that these different people, the older generation, was dying out. And the communities where this message was being passed down in were being, were being persecuted. Because remember, this is post-Jesus' ascension, and now we're in a, in a culture of persecution. And they were being scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria and the rest of the world's the rest of the world. So they're being scattered and the people who, were, who existed to tell the story were dying out, being martyred, persecuted, dispersed. So he's like, all right, we got we to write this stuff down. We don't, we don't want this, this history, this rich history about Jesus to be lost. N.T. Wright actually said, the stories which depended for transmission on a peaceful, stable society were in danger of dying out. Unless steps were taken to write them down, the message would, be, would not be passed down passed on to the next generation. And so there begs the question, you know, what does Luke tell us? This is reason. Like, so this is where we get to the very first part of our, of our reading today, which Tess just read. We'll read it again. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the, as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So that you may have certainty. What is he basing this off of? We'll get to that in just a minute. But certainty, this is why he wrote this stuff down knowing the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed and formed, the things that you have been taught about Jesus. Because Luke himself was taught the gospel by someone. He was a Gentile up in Philippi, or up probably in Galatia is where he kind of first joined them, the region of Galatia. So he was a, he was a, he was a Gentile. And he was preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He heard the message of Jesus Christ. And his life was changed. His life was transformed. And that, I think, was his burning passion behind writing the book of Luke. His burning passion that I heard this and I, now I want everyone else to hear it as well. 
You may have heard rumors about this Jesus. You may have heard the story. So now I want to write these things down so that you know for certain. You can go back and read them for yourself. You don't just have to try to remember them. You can read them for yourself. This is similar to, to John's reasoning. John's reasoning for writing his gospel. He wrote this. He said, uh, that the, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I don't want you guys to miss this because Luke was not an eyewitness. He said, <clears throat> just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. This is a book, not of Luke's testimony, not of Luke's encounters with Jesus. Because again, remember, he, he didn't have any. This is, this, is a sto- this is a book, this is a writing, and every story you hear is from someone who saw it. Which I'm so excited to get started into these next few weeks because who told Luke about the birth of Jesus? Mary. Mary herself was, is most likely the one that told Jesus all about the birth of Jesus Christ. Her song that she wrote, her Magnificat, is Jesus's, I'm sorry, is, is Mary's testimony. Is Mary's song that she gave to Luke to pass on. Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's probably why we don't have a writing of, of you know, any like records of Joseph because he wasn't alive at the time that this was written. And so all these stories were either by, you know, the, you know, Mary, his mother, Zacchaeus, Zac, you know, think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was an was a eyewitness to the story of Jesus. The, and, the, and the disciples, the apostles, they were there. They saw Jesus going through the streets and be touched, his, his robe be touched by the woman whose flow of blood stopped. They were there when they heard. They remember what they said. They remember what happened. Possibly even talking to Pilate about what happened behind the closed doors inside his palace. But also remember that Jesus walked the earth for several, you know, for several years after his, his resurrection. Or I'm sorry, for several days. We, sorry, sorry, did I say years? Sorry, several days and weeks after his, his resurrection. And he was telling the disciples all of these things that would happen throughout the, the crucifixion that maybe the disciples weren't prey to. But then they got to pass on the story of what Jesus told to them and the teachings that Jesus told to them. And so this is the book of eyewitnesses. This is the story from Jesus. Luke's gospel writing is the story of God's relationship. This book is specifically about his relationships and personal encounters with people through, how, through Jesus engaging with, healing, and blessing all kinds of people. This is what makes Luke so incredible. He doesn't care about cultural norms. He doesn't care about the status quo. He writes faithfully, and this is the most beautiful thing, because Jesus was the most 
radical person in that age. He loved radically, scandalously. I think that, that, that has such a, a great connotation around Jesus that Jesus brought a great, a great scandal to, to Judea. That loving people radically, all kinds of different people, like what? The marginalized, the, the disadvantaged, the poor, the sick, the harassed, the demon-possessed, the widows, the bereaved parents, children, women. I don't want you to miss that. Because that's going, to be, that's going to become hugely important throughout the, the book, throughout the book of Luke. The social underworld of tax collectors and sinners, Gentiles and even Samaritans. All these people were, were, were looked down upon by the nobility, the, 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 the elite up here. Women weren't given a, a place among the rabbis to learn the word of God. Sinners were exiled and cast out. The poor were looked down upon because they didn't have whatever what other people had, because they weren't being blessed by God. Sinners and, and, and the demon-possessed, like these, these people that people just wanted to go away or just to be silent. Those are the ones that Jesus went to. Those are the ones that Jesus' heart broke for. Those are the ones that he said, I have come for. I have come for the sick, not for the well. A doctor doesn't, doesn't come for the, for the people who are healthy. He comes for those who are sick, which he'll later say. All these people had different needs and Jesus brought salvation and healing and wholeness to their lives, to each one personally. Because after all, he had come to bring good news, to preach good news to the poor, the poor in spirit, those who are emotionally and spiritually downtrodden, not just the financially poor. He came to bring hope. Think about that word, hope. I hope for something. I hope that we're going to have a good lunch. I hope that we're going to, I hope that there is a vaccine that comes out soon so people stop freaking out. I hope all for a lot of things because that I want, I want to happen. But the ultimate hope in our lives, the reason to get up out of bed in the morning, the reason, the cause, the purpose to, to, that ignites us to get up out of bed in the morning is our hope. And what is that hope? Luke wrote to give us that hope, and that hope is Jesus. And Luke wrote this to give hope to Gentiles specifically. Now, yeah, I mean, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation had been you know, anticipating the coming of the Messiah for, for many, many years, hundreds of years. But think about that. Even in the midst of Jesus' day, in Tyr and Sidon, in the rest of the world, Betshan, you know, Rome and the, the Near Eastern world, they, Gentiles needed hope too. Gentiles were worshiping fake gods. They had succumbed to the ultimate fake news of the Roman Empire, the misinformation of the social elite. They're being led astray by the so-called fact-checkers of the Roman Empire. And the Gentiles needed hope too. 
And that's why Luke is writing, he's saying, this hope is for Gentiles too. This is for the whole world. Which is why he says, peace to all mankind, which we'll get to in a few weeks, in a couple weeks here in in Luke chapter 2. The great Christmas chapter, right? He brought hope to the whole world. Then and now. Because guess what's in this book? Guess what's in here? (laughs) The book of Luke. The book of Luke is in here. 2,000 years ago and we're still reading it today. And it still brings hope and life and joy and purpose to our lives. Because it's telling us about Jesus. It's telling us about the hope of the world, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Because here in 2020, the year that feels like a perpetual full moon every day, weird things are happening every single day, we need hope, do we not? We as a church, we as a city, we as a state, as, an, as a nation, as a, in the world, need hope. I just read an, read an article this week that even posed that, that suicide claimed more Japanese, Japanese lives in October than 10 months of COVID. And I don't know if there's a, an honest and accurate place that you can find that in America today, but I have also seen studies where suicide among us as, as Americans, specifically among millennials and zennials, the I generation, has exploded by over 400%. This is our college kids and our young adults and our teenagers. Because you can probably feel the, the tension in, at, at school. Just this... I'm isolated. I'm alone. Our world needs hope. Because Luke is the story of hope. Because Jesus is for everyone, so hope is for everyone. How? How is, how is God the hope for, for everyone? Well, Luke, basically the the one verse that kind of also encapsulates all of the book of Luke is Luke chapter 19, verse, verse 10. He said, For the Son of Man, Jesus, has come to seek and to save the lost, to give them hope. I want to focus in on that, that phrase, seek and to save the lost. Now, this specifically this word lost. This word lost is the Greek word apolumi, uh, which means I destroy or I kill, perish, utterly destroy or I lose. Now, this isn't like a directional lostness. This isn't like a, oh, I don't know where I'm going. I need my map. I need a map because I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. It means <laughs> dead. It means destroyed. It means like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him will not apolumi will not perish, will not 
be utterly destroyed, will not be killed, will not be lost. This is this, the connotation of like a ship is lost, you know, destroyed, gone down, uh, perished at sea. That this connotation of lost is like a ship being lost at sea, sinking, being destroyed. You don't, when you say the ship has been lost, it's not like, oh, okay, cool, they're, they're just lost. They'll be here in, in a few months or a few weeks. They'll be here a little late. They're, they're just lost. No, it means they're gone. It means they're destroyed. And that's what Jesus' heart was. Jesus came to many different people in different situations and experiencing different kinds of perishing or, or destroying, being utterly destroyed or, or lostness, perishing, destruction, and he saved them. He brought them up from the depths of the sea. He healed them. He restored them. He delivered us. That's what Jesus' the depictions of, of Jesus' story, the story of Jesus and all, all over the scripture, all over this book. know that person that ruins movies for you 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 walk in you're you're about to rent a movie and all of a sudden like they tell you something you're like oh really i was gonna watch that like it was funny i remember this one time i was going into um that oh i was coming out of titanic uh back in the day may just have aged myself Uh, but coming out of the movie titanic and there was a big long line waiting to get in because it was like one of the highest grossing movies of all time. And someone behind me was like, the boat sinks! And someone in line's like, ah, oh, thanks for ruining it! I'm like, did you fail history? <laughs> so it's like, it's this, it's Titanic, this, this boat sinks. But sometimes doing that can be economical and practical for toddlers. So we introduced my, my, our, our kids to the Lord of the Rings. Uh, this, the, these last few weeks because it's taken well, last, last couple weeks because it's taken a while to get through hours upon hours of the extended edition of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Okay, several weeks actually. It's been multiple weeks, yeah. So we, we but every time, especially The Lord of the Rings because it's one big story and every time they're like, oh, Frodo, Frodo, like starting to cry. We're like, remember, good guys win, bad guys lose. You know, can we spoil the ending so that they wouldn't, you know, collapse into a puddle of hopelessness? Because we wanted them to know that good guys win, bad guys lose. That there is hope in the end. That there's hope to be experienced. But I even love those movies where it's not even that the good guys win, bad guys lose, but that the good guys win and the bad guys are transformed into good people. The bad guys are transformed into good, good, into good guys. Like Beauty and the Beast. At the first, you're like, ah, bear beast needs to go away. He's, he's so mean. Being a jerk to Belle. But then he's transformed and he grows to love. He understands what love truly means. And he's able to defeat the real enemy. And so the bad guy still loses. Gaston! But this, this kind of the spoiler. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm giving you spoilers here. Because guess what? The, the, the end of the book, Jesus wins. Good guys win. Bad guys lose. Well, good guys win. 
Death and the grave are defeated, but even us who were bad are made transformed and made into good. Good guy, the good guy wins. Don't worry, he died. But don't worry, he comes back. Because, so we, we begin with the end in mind. So we see the entire book, as we read through the, the entire book of, of Luke in this next season, understand the end. That everything that Jesus accomplishes at the end is what he came to do throughout his entire ministry, throughout the entirety of the book. So it puts that hope filter on the story of, of Jesus. It's not even the story of, of Luke, it's the story of Jesus. It's about him. It's about him. To what end? God came to earth, walked among us. He died and was raised to accomplish his end. And what is his end? What did the death and burial and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and the giving and outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the entire writing of the book of Acts, what does that tell us? That Jesus came to search and rescue those who were lost, perishing and destroyed. So we need to, as we read the, book of, read the book of Luke, to reframe your mind around the lost. It's not just those who just need new direction. It's those who need hope. Those who need Christ. And who needs Jesus? Everyone. Everyone. The lost, those who are perishing and being destroyed by sin and death and the enemy and us. We need more of Jesus. We need a closer relationship and understanding and intimacy with Jesus every day to live this life, to walk in this hope, to walk in this joy, to walk in this whatever life we go into, whatever is going on around us, that we can approach it, that we can encounter it head on because we have the hope of Christ. We have certainty. The same certainty that Luke was writing to give the original audience and us today to have that certainty in our lives. to give hope to those who are in utter destruction, the lost in Belgrade, going down in the storms of life, and they may or may not even know it. So the only reason that Luke would take this much care to go and to do all this research, to compile this whole account of, of different witnesses and stories about Jesus, the only reason to take this much care and research needed to do this is if these things that were recorded actually happened. And if they actually happened, if they are true, then this is the only hope to restore people to restore the broken, that which is lost, and restore it to beauty and glory and purpose. We all need hope. We all need certainty about our faith. And God desires to bring it. 
God wants to bring that certainty and that clarity to your life and your faith as you open up his word this week. I encourage you guys this week to open up Luke 1. Open up Luke 1 and read that passage that we read today and ask yourself different questions. Ask the Lord to reveal to you questions to ask. Lord, what are, what are, where are areas maybe where I'm doubting, where I don't feel like I have certainty in my life, where I don't feel like I have clarity about the things that I've been taught? How can I search your heart? How can I seek after you through your word, through the scripture, through your Holy Spirit? And I love it, as he said to Zacchaeus, he said, salvation, this is the, the first part of, this, of, of Luke chapter 19. This is Luke chapter 19, verse 9. He said, salvation, healing, wholeness, rescue has come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Because that is God's ultimate desire, is to bring those who are in our world, who are lost and dead, dead and dying and perishing, to life. Those who are, as Paul would say, dead in their trespasses and sins. He wants to use us to bring that hope, to bring this life-giving joy of Jesus Christ and to baptize them and, to, and help them join our, our family and to grow in their faith as we're growing in ours through reading God's word together. And so I pray that this will be a, a life-giving season for you, for the life of our church, and a life-giving pouring out of, of God's Holy Spirit to our city as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the eyewitnesses and, and the testimony, Lord Jesus, the stories of Jesus that we get to partake of, that we get to know and to enjoy by being able to read them in Scripture. God, I pray for just such an outpouring of your Spirit that it would befuddle us, that we would just come each week with an anticipation of something that you're going to be doing that's new in our lives, new in our spirits, new in our faith. God, that we would just see a supernatural outpouring of your spirit to bring revival on this city. Lord, where there is prayer, where your people pray and seek after your heart, Lord, where Jesus is preached. Lord, where your spirit is experienced. God, these are the places throughout history that we have seen you move. These are the places, these are the times, these are the things, the ways that you, that you respond when your people pray, when Jesus is preached, when the Holy Spirit is then poured out. And Lord, we pray for that. We pray, Lord, that you would make us a people of prayer. A people that make much of Jesus. That are people of the word. But we are also, Lord Jesus, we are catalysts for your spirit. God, that we are receivers and givers and experiencers of the presence of your Holy Spirit. Because we can do nothing, God, without you. We can do nothing 
without your Holy Spirit. Because we can do nothing outside of Christ. So Lord, I, I pray that you would stir within us hope. That you would bring a certainty to our faith. To bring hope in us and through us, God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.